We want to remind everyone we have social media exclusive content like our two-minute drill as well as other video content. To find that, please make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok for more. We're kicking off episode seven here of the Let's Be Frank video podcast. I am your host, Jason DeWay. Joining me shortly will be head coach Frank Monica. we got a loaded show tonight. We have LHSA previews and recaps. We have LSU Tulane Saints. We also have special guests. Brother Martin, head football coach, Mark Bonice. And Coach Monica is going to talk about emphasis on special teams. But before we go any further, we want to go ahead and thank our title sponsor, Ocardo and Dufresne Law Firms, your go-to River Parish lawyers. On that note, we'll go ahead and bring on head coach, Frank Monica. Coach, we're a little past midway point in the season. With everything kind of locked and loaded into place, how much does power ratings now start to play into the, the way that we kind of look at teams and where they sit right now. Right now, you know, you look at the brackets because now because of the ruling that's already in place that we had last year, you got 2014 brackets or 2018 brackets on, on special and select side. So we're looking at we're looking at the, a trend that started to develop. So if you, for instance, what I mean by that, if you're like number three right now, uh, you're not going to move very very much because district play is started and and most. Uh, teams are playing in districts right now so that they will cancel out one another the power rankings and the points that you achieve so you're going to see right now a team is not going to move very much it might be you might jump one spot or fall one spot but unless you really go on a slide or unless you really go on a run you're not going to move very much so really you can almost predict very very close to what that bracket is going to look like way back in november coach your staff used to do a really good job of kind of predicting that uh how how, how difficult was it to actually kind of track it from your own standpoint when you don't have the official numbers in front of you? Well, you know, you, you more or less can predict who's going to win in the district because the districts are, are really watered down. I mean, you have to have them, and I'm glad we do, but they're really watered down. You might have maybe one good team other than the Catholic League and maybe the North of the Lake, the 5A North of the Lake and St. Tammany uh, and the Tangipoa Parish. You have a lot, a lot of districts that are very, very weak. What I mean by that, you just don't have four or five good teams in it. You have maybe one or two a team that are, that compete for the district championship, which doesn't mean very much anymore. And uh, But right now, you can almost predict who's going to be the winner of those, and you can almost predict your power ranking uh, going forward. Hey, Coach, we're going to go ahead and dive into our prep talk, where we're going to go ahead and look at some recaps from a week ago. In our first matchup, we had Brother Martin, who defeated Jesuit 15-3. to only scoring one offensive touchdown, but went into half after having three first-half turnovers. But, hey, held this Jesuit team to 54 total yards and got two safeties to boot. So, nice win for Brother Martin. Yeah, no question. And Jesuit's defense really comes around. That quarterback is getting better. He had over 100 yards himself running the ball for Jesuit. But Brother Martin, who just I think they're well-rounded. Uh, they, they are a process team. They're a team that, that takes care of the football. And they do everything everything quite well and uh, they're not going to turn over the ball as much it looks like Jesuit had a, those two bad snaps that uh, that went awry on them and that kind of cost them but um that ball game is always a, a big crosstown rivalry six sacks also for this brother martin defense they are an extremely stout group no doubt about it in our next matchup we had rommel defeating john curtis 27 to 21 in overtime coach probably the surprise of the week because because Curtis came off of a loss, the assumption is there's no chance they're going to lose again, especially a, a, a Rumble team that's supposedly down 
with all these massive injuries, they hold them to 21 points. That's not including regular. I mean, that's including overtime. I mean, it's a fantastic job by this ball club to come out and play good football. Yes, I think that it really showed some resiliency and some guts to, to stand there toe-to-toe with a, a real big physical John Curtis football team. And, uh, you know, Martin, that little running back, is just really – he's a gamer. Uh, he just – I just think he had over 100 yards and and the quarterback, Vogus, threw for a couple touchdowns. I think that, the, you know, that that's a big, big win for them. They needed that win and maybe, maybe they can get some of these young guys that just got – they got indoctrinated and had to be thrown to the fire. Maybe they'll get a little confidence and build from that. But, you know, that Catholic League is relentless. And and, uh, and also they have to play the Shrine. And, you know, for, for Curtis, it's been a long, long time. I think somebody said since 2020, since they've lost two in a row. But you never discount them. I mean, uh, they'll be there at the end. And to your point, Martin had 140 yards, four touchdowns, and Buggins was 14 to 15. Really impressive day for this guy in this ball club. In our next matchup, we had Covington taking on St. Paul's. St. Paul's was the 21-19 to victor in that matchup. And you mentioned this is a big implication game for their district, and St. Paul's a very talented team and won this ball game, and, and it came down to a very tight uh, tight plays at the end of the game. I think, Jason, last week we discussed about the, the matchup. We were going to talk about how, how many were going to be close games. It, 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 pro- it came to fruition about how many were close and uh, this was a old battle in the St. St. Tammany Parish. Both schools are within a mile of one another. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of give and take on both sides there. And uh, St. Paul, you know, they find a way uh, with that good defense and, and it had to stop the, the two-point play. So um, big win for Coach Sears. Yes, and as you mentioned, a, a big win for that ball club. And they're going to – strong defense, always a strong defense. And our next matchup, Riverside took on St. Martin's, won 55-14. to 14. Coach, a phenomenal day for running back, Dedrick. Last Lassie. Yeah, Lassie. Fantastic. 344 yards and four touchdowns on the day. Just a phenomenal job on his part. Oh, man, he's he's quick as a hiccup. I mean, he's really – he's a little bit tiny guy, but he's got a lot of moves, and and they that offensive line opened up some holes for him, got him to the perimeter. Uh, one of the first uh, – Coach Roussel's team, I think, was well, well prepared. I mean, I just don't think that St. Martin's have the alignment to – to, to line up against Riverside, that's, that's, that's proven two years in a row, even though Barry is supposed to be one of the best backs in the country. But St. Martin's schedule is not nearly what Riverside was. And and uh, so we saw this, we, we talked about this. We saw not so much that we saw a blowout coming, but we saw that Riverside would have a decided advantage of this because um, they can, you know, Co- Coach Lashley does a great job with the Riverside defense. And, and uh, Coach Dizer was, was the ex coach at Riverside. So we knew that game was going to have a lot of implications, but I didn't think. Anyway, in the world that that I could think that St. Charles, I mean the St. Martins, could beat them, you know. So, but uh, uh, credit to them, like the like the little back was just one of the better backs in the state, and and I think he's a, he's just a junior, so he's got another year. He ran for one. That's Barry. He ran for one seventy and a pair of touchdowns as well in the day. In our next matchup, we had Holy Cross defeating St. Aug. St. Aug was in the driver's seat for a lot of this game, despite the fifty-five to thirty loss in the first half. They scored eighteen points in the first quarter. And it looked like everything was going their way. But, man, this offense of Holy Cross came out to play. Canatella, 11 of 19 for 253 yards and six touchdowns. It's an incredible day passing the football. Yeah, he's a, quite an operator. And, and he's got the he's got some guys that he can throw it to. And they big play team. Uh, they can they can throw short. They throw a lot of bubbles. and then But they also can go deep on you. Uh, the line gives them protection. They can score a lot, a lot of points. The St. Aug, I mean, they're just, they're just making some mistakes. So if they ever put it together, look out because you know they have the talent there. 
but the last couple of weeks they've had they've been bugged with a couple of turnovers and and some and uh, a couple of penalties here. But listen, they're still a dangerous football team and still to be reckoned with. They'll be there at the end. Cross Johnson and Kobe Young are a really dynamic pair in the at the wide receiver position. Really helped him out. You can when you can toss a ball across the middle of the field and he can take it seventy yards like it's nothing. I mean, it's a scary ball club. Uh, in our next matchup, we had another overtime game. This time it was Newman taking on Bell Chase, a very physical defensive matchup. And Newman ended up pulling it out on the end. But, man, a, a very tight ball game from this Bell Chase team. I think uh, there were two overtimes in, the, in this ball game. Newman lost a good running back. And uh, I don't know if he's how long he's going to be out for. But uh, that, that sort of made him play, play a little differently offensively. Had to throw the ball more to the receivers. But um, uh, Bell Chase was very, very scrappy in this ball game. He had a chance to win it. And uh, they, I think they brought the A game and, and knew that, that this would be uh, a real, real close ball game for him. I think, uh, you know, talking to Coach Stewart this week, and he's kind of glad that he got into this kind of game because he, his kids need to see that and to get them ready for maybe postseason play. Absolutely. And moving on to the next matchup, we had St. Charles taking on Abbeville and winning 51 to nothing. Expected the Comets to win, but by this margin, pretty impressive because Abbeville was on a nice run themselves. I, I was surprised that Abbeville actually won four games because uh, uh, the game just got out, got out of hand before you know it. It was before halftime, and uh, they, they, and what killed them was their special teams. Their special, they couldn't snap the ball, they couldn't punt the ball, they couldn't they couldn't kick it off, and uh, so St. Charles took advantage of all those things, and which a good team will do. And they played on a very short field, and uh, you know they got safety out of it, they got a good return out of it. And so, but uh, St. Charles is a, a, a school, a team that's got all three phases working for them right now. Uh, really, really, I mean, they got um, on defense alone. I have to, I know these guys personally a little bit, but you know, I mean, they got Foster on one side and Caden Combe wouldn't be the fastest kid on the team, but Tucci's is a secondary. I mean, they, they, Bosco in, in the middle and Kyle Cannon, the linebackers are super. Then on offensive side, they got, they have some playmakers. Of, um, Brady St. Pierre still continues to play extremely, extremely well. Uh, the, the tight end, I mean, it's really a good, a good player. And he's had, uh, Craig, he's had a lot, a lot of um, uh, big catches already. And uh, Daniel Jolton outside, uh, my grandson, uh, uh, Jackson Monica, doing well. And then at running back, Willis has just been incredible all year long. He's hard to take down. Might be one of the better backs that St. Charles has ever had. A really good ball club, and they'll continue to push forward as they try for yet another state title. In our next matchup, we had a rivalry game in Santa Ma taking on East Ascension. The series is now tied even, Coach, 22 apiece. This time it was Santa Ma coming up on the better end. East Ascension just has had trouble with their schedule, a very tough schedule, and Santa Ma's a really good ball club. No question. Santa Ma, just the opposite of that, just as you said, uh, East Ascension is going through a juggernaut of a, of a schedule. Whereas Santa Ma has not, but yet I think it, that says a lot for them because it could kind of save it and save their emotions. You heard me say this before. I think a team has maybe three or four big emotional games each year, and and I don't think you can emotionally high every ball game. Uh, so Santa Ma hadn't had to get up for many ball games. This is one they did. Uh, East Ascension is still having problems scoring points, and if you ever get that offense straightened out, look out. You know, um, another big thing to note is Caleb Ricks, two interceptions for Santa Mal, one for a touchdown. Nice game for him. In our final matchup, we had Salmon defeating Lakeshore 21-14. to 14. Coach, a tight matchup. Salmon just came up on the better end of it. 
But we knew that was going to be a, a, a classic district matchup. And it's one of those, those uh, districts that I was telling you about where these are the two best teams in the district. They, they're basically playing for the district championship here. And after this, they both have a chance to run the table in their district. Um, I, I, I do know that the, this game is always a, a, a born burner. And it came down to the end. Lakeshore had his chance at the end uh, to go ahead. But but uh, Salmon held on and uh, big win. That could that could catapult both of them to a pretty high ranking and power ranking, too. And uh, don't be surprised they can face one another again. And we're going to go ahead and move on to our preview segment. Coach, this might be the biggest matchup of the entire state this week. Terlins Catholic taking on Lafayette Christian. Lafayette Christian, everybody talks about Jawan Johnson. I think it's going to be a, a big game for this defensive front. They're going to have to make Preston Welsh of Turlings Catholic feel uncomfortable, but we know they can put up points. They have a lot of weapons on offense, but I think it's going to come down to can the defensive backs of Turlings Catholic and the linebackers limit limit Johnson, and can they contain these wide receivers? Yeah, earlier in the year I had an opportunity to see Turlings. I think you said it right. They're excellent on, on offense. I don't know if their defense can hold up with, with LCA. Uh, it's going to be a matter of, of them, how many how many times they can create a turnover here or there. So LCA takes care of the football. It's going to be a long night for Turley. But on the flip side, Turley is very, very explosive. I would love to see this ball game because it's going to be the over and under of this ball game is going to be about 60. Big matchup is going to be Peyton Jones on the defensive side for Turlings, who has four or five speed, and Trey Gorgon from that other side of the ball. It's going to be a fascinating matchup. In our next game, we have Curtis taking on Acadiana. Curtis comes in at three and two, which is unlike them, uh, having dropped two in a row, as you mentioned, first time since 2020, and they're taking on Acadiana. An 11-7 matchup in the power ratings. Curtis has so many weapons. They passed for 250 yards despite having that Veer offense just a week ago. We know they can light it up through the air, and Acadian's going to have to be prepared for that. No question. I think, it, though, again, that they're, they're playing at the Shrine, so that's going to give Curtis a little advantage here. Um, and, and Curtis, you know, they'll be prepared. I mean, they'll be prepared. I'm sure that their practice sessions this week have been all focused about one game and trying to stop Acadiana. It's really unique how they both have similar offenses and how they both kind of come off the football and they, they spend a lot of time with their offensive line on that, on that veer. But Curtis is able to throw the ball better. And um, I know Acadiana's got this, this all-world free safety, but they can throw the ball a little bit better than I think Acadiana can. And uh, so uh, this this ball game might might be over by it starts at seven might be over by seven thirty because both of them are run oriented. Dominic McKinley is going to have to play a big role for this Acadian defense, big defensive lineman. But I'm going to tell you, Coach, I think one of the keys is going to be Tyler Mitchell for this Curtis offense, wide receiver. Everybody talks about Michael Turner, but Mitchell has every ounce of ability as well. Next matchup, Shaw takes on Bell Chase. Shaw four is four and two. They've won out since their first two matchups. Bell Chase sits at twelve in the non-select side of Division One power rating. Uh, Mason Wilson has done a great job at quarterback for this Shaw offense. I think a lot of it goes through him and what he's been able to bring to the table. And Bell Chase's defense is going to have to find a way to limit him along with those playmaking ability that they have on the outside of wide receiver. And he is at the quarterback show has actually had a great year throwing the ball. And, and even though earlier in the year, he was not as accurate as he's been lately. And, uh, but he's real thick players, hard to take down. And I, so, and this is a kind of a real, real big rivalry too. They're not far from one another. Uh, they're in the same district. So this could be a real, real war. Bell chase has a lot of quickness. So, 
and, they, and, and Coach Myers will, will make sure that, that they run the football. And Shaw's going to have to stop the run. But I know, I know Coach Terry, you know, he's he's old uh, uh, battle-tested guy. So he's going to have his guys ready to play because it, when they look at that district, this is probably the matchup. And as we said about other district games, this is for the district championship. They will probably both run the table after this ball game. And I was a part of this rivalry way back when I first started calling games. It's a very intense matchup, as you mentioned. Both teams, they want to win this game, that's for sure. In our next matchup, we have Carr taking on Jesuit. Coach, we know the Carr has a lot of playmakers. John Johnson has done a phenomenal job operating this offense. Jesuit's defense has played really strong, but they've got to get it rolling offensively. 54 yards against Brother Martin, and they've got to find a way to move the football. I, I think with Jesuit would probably do against a real talented – this car is a big play offense. I think Jesuit's going to try to control that that tempo and try to build up some first downs and um, and keep the ball away. That's the best defense in the world is your, is your offense, is to keep them off the field. And uh, But Carr's going to – you know, you hope that maybe you get this game to the fourth quarter and maybe cause them to, to panic a little bit. But Carr's been so – I mean, they've been there so many times. I don't think they'll panic. They know what they have to do. Uh, they still have all the talent in the world. They have a number and number of, of, of blue chippers on that football team, uh, even the sophomore guys. or They have some blue chippers. But but Jesuit will be in position. Now, uh, being in position is one thing. Can they still make the play, even though they're in position, against a real, real good athletic football team? Uh, but uh, the, uh, look for it to be a little bit closer to what people think, though. What I did see on film is I got to watch uh, Jesuit tape against St. Aug. They established a run really well in that game in the early point, as you mentioned. That's going to have to be their tactic here. You've got to establish the run early, but you also got to watch out for Taj Butler, 4-6 at linebacker. Big play. And, and Coach Manal will put he will put two linemen in the backfield to lead the runs too. So he might have might be playing out there with eight offensive linemen and maybe a couple of cheerleaders. <laughs> in, our, uh, in our next matchup, we have St. Charles taking on St. Martinville. Coach, we know that this is a big game for St. Charles because they feel like they owe some payback after St. Martinville came to Laplace, which doesn't happen often for many teams, and defeated them just a year ago. We know the ability that St. Charles has. A guy we haven't talked about a, a as much maybe, even though we've said a lot of these guys' name, Brandon Craggle at tight end has been a, a big playmaker and a consistent playmaker on the outside for quarterback St. Pierre. Oh, no question. Craig has done the phenomenal job. Especially the run after the catch is, is what you what, what most coaches say, okay, it's not the catch, it's the run after the catch. And he's done a phenomenal job of actually working the middle of the field. And that's what a tight end normally does because, you know, safety don't like to, to tackle those big guys. But, yeah, some, uh, St. Martinville defeated them last year. So I think that St. Charles, they'll have their attention, even though they go on the road. Uh, St. Martinville, is, they, they, they have four wins. They're not the team they were last year, but they still have, have some dudes. So you always have to respect a team like that that's got some playmakers because it doesn't take much. You know, if, if you're not prepared, it doesn't take much for them for all of a sudden to, to, to get the, with, the, with people called ambush. I don't think it's an ambush game because I think that uh, St. Charles is a well-rounded football team, uh, but you, you never can tell. You just hope you come out of this thing without any injuries and with a W. All-state running back for St. Martinville, Stephen Blanco, will try to have a big game, but we know that this is an experienced defensive front with Matthew Loop and the, and the gang for St. Charles. I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. In our next game, we have St. Aug taking on Rummel. Rummel, it seems like a story of two teams going in opposite directions, Coach. St. Aug has all the ability in the world, just has not been able to put it together. And Rummel, 
has seemingly been injured to no end and still finds a way to pull off one of the biggest upsets maybe in the entire season against Curtis last week. What do you see in this matchup? Yeah, I think I think Coach Monica over there is a little concerned because St. Dog is so talented. And, and the concern is if they play their best ball game, I mean, it, it, it's hard to defeat them when you get the people that's got that kind of talent and when they take care of the football. Um, but they, they've sort of lost their way a little bit last week and lost their focus after jumping off the big lead. So, you know, you whenever you prepare for a team, you always have to have to prepare for their best effort. You just can't say, well, if they're going to do this, you have to prepare for their best effort because you never know that's going to happen. And so St. Aug is still a dangerous football team, still one of the better teams in the Catholic League. And uh, and and Rumble's still trying to get those young guys up to snuff where, where they'll be competitive. But this this could be a real, real big momentum game uh, for, for Rumble uh, if they can pull this one off. And St. Aug has a lot of receivers on the outside that can do some damage. But, man, their front seven coach, one of the best in the state, led by Jaquim Stewart. He's a sophomore. I've said his name a bunch, but I watched him play, and he was he lived in Holy Cross's backfield a week ago. But I want to go back to a point that you made that I think is so important, and I, I can speak to this as a former player. You said you have to prepare for a team's best effort. And one thing I remembered you doing is, is there's certain games that stand out, but there was one in particular. It was Bruley, and they had one series, and you, and you said, don't look at their record. You kept repeating that. You said, don't look at their record. Watch this series. And you played that one series every day. Every day during film, you said, watch what they can do. And I think you always did a great job of preparing for a team's best effort, making sure your team saw the potential of what a team can do. Why is that so important for your team to understand what they're lined up against? The most important thing is getting your team's attention. And because a lot of times they can lose focus, you know, they, they listen to voices, they listen to the media or the media, the media is putting teams together in the state championship already. Uh, the, the media can make the parents think differently. And the parents that are, it might be the cheerleaders where the kids walk around the hall and somebody's talking, a cheerleader said, well, y'all got an easy game this week. Well, where did that cheerleader get it from? She's got it from, she got it from home. She got it from somebody, something that she read or somebody said that in the class, one of her peers in the class said that. So that mindset, you have to offset that mindset and get your kids focused on the game itself. It's up to the players to play the game. And the, the, you know, the fans and the media, they're, they're there to cheer and they're there to support you. And because you can, you know, that, that distraction can come from a lot of different places. Sometimes it can come from, from, the, from the faculty. Sometimes it can come from uh, another team or a voice from the outside, but especially, especially uh, the friends of theirs that they run into. And uh, people that keep up with the game a lot, sometimes they, they'll say, well, and they look at records. And they don't care about who you played. They don't look at that. But they look at records and say, well, you should win this game. Uh, decisively, but yet that gets into the mindset of those guys, so they they fail to prepare as well. And remember, I said this: every game has a different emotional level to play. Every game is different. You're not going to play the same way two weeks in a row. So uh, it was it was always my job to make sure that we kept their focus and kept them intrigued. And it might be a different practice schedule just to do something to get their attention. You're absolutely right, Coach. And the media has a lot to do with that. Hey, so who, who you got for the state titles this year? Want to make some? You want to make some coaches? Uh, some coaches? <laughs> <laughs> so look, we're gonna go ahead and uh, take a look at some local college, uh, some local college matchups this week. Tulane takes on Memphis. We spoke with Coach just a week ago, and we know that you mentioned it as well. You alluded to it. They have not played great at Memphis. So with that kind of taken in mind, what's it going to take for Tulane to go on the road focused? 
on a Friday night game, which is maybe throwing off their schedule a bit, even though they did have a bye week. What do they have to do in order to accomplish their goal of winning this ball game? Well, I think that at the number one, you know, everybody's going to stress the, the importance of taking care of the ball, which means uh, eliminate some of the penalties. I think the last couple of ball games, the last game especially, Tulane made made some uncommon errors in terms of uh, uh, penalties. Uh, they had a couple of turnovers, so I know this was a this timing of this game came at a perfect time because they're going to work on that. They're going to work on their ball security. And, uh, and, and they also found a back in the, in the last ball game, uh, back that, that carried the ball over a hundred yards. And I think you're going to see more of him. I think it's going to be more of a, a running game before, for Tulane, but it, it's going to give coach Fritz. And I'll give, I'll give, if you give coach Fritz two weeks to prepare for a team, he's going to have them ready. And uh, so um, I know Memphis is a good football team. Uh, hopefully this will, the winner of this game is really, really going to have a, a leg up on on that that championship in the American Conference, and uh, so it's it's going to be a war out there when you go on the road. And of course, Memphis has to look at it too the same way. So it's going to be a very interesting game. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to be on a Friday night where a lot of us won't be able to view it. It is unfortunate, but again, you can always tape it. DVR. They got a lot of ways you can you can catch back up on it, like I had to do this week with the LSU matchup, and LSU ended up defeating Missouri. 49 to 39. I was calling the Holy Cross game and trying to keep tabs. I had to end up watching the game later. But a few takeaways from this game, Coach, are LSU's defense woke up in the second half, but they still have a lot of ways to go. Uh, Jaden Daniels played phenomenal football despite having a bum wheel. Probably should be steadily in the category for Heisman contention, but due to their two losses, is maybe going to unjustly be slipping out. But this offense. It feels like you're on the edge of your seat every time you watch this offense, Coach, because you have to score. You have to outpace the other team, and that's a very dangerous way to play football. That's not a very good format for a lot of success. You might have so moderate success, but it's not a good format, I think, because defense wins championships, and you know I, I still believe that. Uh, just think, where would this team be without Daniels? I mean, uh, it, it's just amazing. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about, more about this later, but – their special teams are atrocious. I mean, um, they've not gotten any better with it with their special teams. And uh, there was an incident in this ball game where the, they had them backed up. Uh, they, and, and Missouri punched the ball, and they get an 82-yard punt because the punt returner didn't field it, and the ball bounced. And they, so they go from inside the 15 minus 15, and all of a sudden now they're on the minus eight, their own their own eight-yard line. And so Daniels had to lead them on a 92-yard drive to take the lead in the ball game. But I mean, they they their tackling is, is 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 not where it needs to be. Their run fits are not where they need to be. And in terms of that, I, I really don't, don't know. And um, you know, but Mason Smith finally he he, he he batted the ball down. So I mean, so, so I guess that's a plus right there. But uh, uh, to have a to have a, a, a team like this that that's so inept on defense is kind of scary. In the next game that they're going to play is going to be Auburn. That's at home after playing two weeks consecutive on the road. Auburn is a scary team because under Hugh Freeze, every time they've had one really big upset. Now, I don't know how much this would be considered an upset because of the ups and downs of LSU season, but this is a scary Auburn team. You know that they have some great coaching. Hugh Freeze is one of the best offensive minds in the country, and maybe he's gotten forgot about because he was at Liberty. But this is not a gimme win for LSU, and this is going to be a tough matchup with this Tigers team from Auburn coming in to try and you know kick your kick your mouth in. I think they're. I think put it this way: they're a better team than 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 Arkansas. They're more well rounded. I think um, the only thing they don't have a. I don't feel that that quarterbacks a run threat. 
Uh, he throws the ball pretty good. He's gotten a little bit better, but they played Georgia off their feet, and uh, their defense can can slow down LSU's offense. And if that happens, it could be a tough night in Tiger Stadium. But uh, I, I agree with you. Hugh Freeze does a real, real good job. They will take care of the football. They got they have personnel too, and um, I, I think the spread is a little bit, a little bit um, more of a, a generous spread for LSU because especially said if you can't play defense, I think anything more than three points is a generous spread. So we'll go ahead and take a look at the Saints as we go ahead and move on to our next segment. Coach, 34 to nothing. Maybe not the best Patriots team that they've had recently, but you had to be pleased with all phases of the game and a win like that. Oh, I was so tickled for, for Coach Carmichael. And how about Grandison? All of a sudden, Grandison, his light comes on. And, I mean, that, that poor left tackle for uh, for um, uh, New England, and he threw more no-hitters than Nolan Ryan. I mean, so, so he was uh, he was all over the field. And, and the credit to the defense. The Saints defense is really, really good. Uh, Mario Davis in the middle and, and that Jordan on the outside. I mean, uh, Werner inside. I mean, they got some great corners with a lot of more. So, I mean, they got playmakers on defense, and I really love their special teams too. And I, I really watch them. Their special teams are well, well drilled, well coached. And I just hope they can put something together, and continue. And Carl's got a smoothest delivery. Uh, sometimes his, his arm is not as quick as I like to see it, but he's got the real smooth delivery. Throws a nice, easy, soft pass to catch. So, and it looks like he's a heck of a leader. So you can't help but but want them to have some success, especially uh, see Camaro with the with the the ball in his hands a little bit more. And I think that Coach Carmichael did a great job of using Tyson Hill. Uh, the way they used him, they moved him around. They actually threw some some passes there so they couldn't gang up on line of scrimmage. I think it would be a Wildcat guy. So uh, and then the shovel pass, that, that was pretty unique play too. And I know Justin, our producer, really liked that. <laughs> so uh, next matchup, they take on Houston, another young quarterback. Defense going to have to take advantage uh, of, of that opportunity against Stroud. And I know he's coming along, but – Again, young quarterback, you got to go win that game. Exactly. I mean, so we we need to get it on a roll here, and, and I think you know Coach Allen knows that, and and I think that you know NFL, as we said this many many times on this program, man, they all getting paid. I mean, when you get a W in the NFL, you cherish it, no matter who's it against, because they're all pros, and so and every week is different. If we talk about that mentality, uh, playing at home, playing on the road, all that matters. Absolutely, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Every team is good. Every team has athletes. If it wasn't the case, there would be a lot more winless teams that have happened in the NFL. There's a reason why they it's a it has such stigma because it's very hard to not win a game, no matter how quote unquote bad of a team you have, as you mentioned, when everybody's getting paid. We're going to head to our first break, and we want to go ahead and remind you that the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast title sponsor is Accardo and Dufresne Law Firms. Samuel Cardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Keep it locked in. You're watching on Varsity Sports now. Samuel Ricardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth 
and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Welcome back from the break. We're about to welcome in our special guest. He is the head coach of the Brother Martin Crusaders, and he led his team last season to a trip to the state title game against John Curtis. And let's go ahead and bring in head coach Mark Bonis. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. And you have to be pleased with the way your defense is playing. Gave up 54 yards a week ago to a week ago to Jesuit. Can you walk us through what's making your defense click so well at this point in the season? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, you know, for our defensive staff, they've been together for so been you know been together for so long. Um, you know, I think it's uh, you know it's a system that that Coach Leday brought to us years ago, and then um, you know once once Coach Leday got out and to get into private business, our coach our coaching staff, um, you know, has really stayed with that. We stay in constant communication with him, and so and our, our kids have bought in and continue to buy in. And so it's uh, it's just the, the the plan in place and defense in place. And, you know, I guess when you have success from year to year, it's easy for your kids to buy in. Um, you know, we were concerned last you know about losing so many great players, you know, from the defense last year. And um, obviously, you know, early on, you're, you're, you're waiting to see how your guys develop. And uh, but so far up to this point, they, they you know, they've done a great job in all the games that we've played. And, you know, um, like I said, I mean, it's a lot of new faces, you know, so we're excited you know, how they played up to this point. We're excited, you know, how they continue to mature and grow as the season goes. Coach Bonis, um, you know, for, for many years, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people don't like Frank Monica, but I don't know anybody in the coaching profession that doesn't like Coach Mark Bonis. You're one of the great guys and uh, great people in the profession itself and with always had a lot of class, handled yourself well. You, your teams uh, actually show your personality, which is, which is character and discipline at all times. So your teams have been a pleasure to watch. I know you guys made it to the state championship last year and, and uh, uh, made a heck of a run uh, there. But uh, coach, tell us a little bit, tell the, I'll, I'll view and watch a little bit about the, about your, your coaching background and your family. where did you start coaching and, and, and your family? How many years you've been in it? Yeah, coach. I, I've been, uh, I've been coaching since shoot uh, probably 2001. Um, I started at Sam Houston state. Uh, well, you know, first of all, you know, I played high school football um, in the Catholic League. Um, I'll just say this on Carrollton and Banks. Um, you know, don't, don't, you know, you know, don't, don't want to name the school, but no, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. graduate in 1997 from Jesuit High School from there. Uh, was blessed to go play for Jeff Bauer at Southern Miss. And, uh, you know, 
I'll tell you this, my, my high school uh, experience was a great one um, at Jesuit, but under Mark Sanji, you know, so I credit him um, and his staff uh, for, for, you know, having me want to be, to, to become a coach and, and, um, and to do what I do today, you know, and then, like I said, I was blessed to play at Southern Miss under uh, Jeff Bauer, who did such a great job. He, he, you know, the one thing I noticed as a player for him um, was the fact of how he wanted everything around him to be uh, family oriented um, and then, uh, as, as things have it, I thought I was going to have a, a job back at Southern. Uh, from there, I went to Sam Houston State, coached tight ends there, and uh, thought that I was going to have, after that, I thought I was going to have a job at Southern Miss and wound up not, wound up falling through. And then uh, things happened for a reason. And from there, um, you know, after I had left Sam Houston State thinking I was going to have a job at Southern Miss, I was blessed to be able to coach alongside of, of Scott Bain's father. And, right. uh, man, that, that was great being with Scott, Brian Bain's father, Jeff Wooten, um, Tom Aliff, um, and under the direction of, of Joey Latino, our, you know, our, our athletic director. Um, was there for three, three years, and I can tell you this, being a part of that Shaw community, um, man, it, uh, it was a blessing. You know, um, great kids, hardworking kids, um, and, and it was uh, three, three of some of the best years of my life. And I had the opportunity then at that point to, to have a – um, a promotion as, as full-time offensive coordinator over at Brother Martin under Jay Pittman and uh, was with him there for three years. And then and, and Coach Pittman left for private business. And, uh, you know, Brother Martin, you know, I was, I was blessed. And, you know, they asked me to be the head coach. So that's kind of been the, the, the short version uh, of, of my coaching career. Um, but, you know, I've, you know, along the way, I appreciate the nice things that you said, Coach, about me. Um, but I, I've been really blessed to be surrounded by great coaches. And I've learned so much, um, you know, from those guys. And, and, you know, there's not a day that goes by that, I, you know, that I'm not thankful for, for, you know, the amount of time they've spent with me and the growth uh, that they've helped me, uh, you, know, you know, how I've grown as a coach because of them. Right. Because I, I, I know that we all did. We chased our store. And at one time you, you chased a college job. And uh, and you came back to us, and I'm I'm really glad you did. And and uh, <laughs> what, what what led into your decision there, Coach? Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, you know, four four or five day deal. So I, you know, at first when I when I finished at Southern Miss, I was a student assistant there, and then then like I said, I started at Sam Houston State, and um, it, it was at that point the game was different. You know, you're looking at 2001, 2002. And um, the game was, you know, obviously recruiting's involved, uh, but there was a lot more X's and O's involved. That's what I really love, part of the game. Um, and then kind of came, you know, came home, you know, like I said, I think I was going to have a job at Southern Miss and things fell through. So there was always that part of me that wanted to get back into college. And I believe it was 2016, I had the, the opportunity to go to Memphis with Mike Norville. Mike Norville, great coach, obviously did a great job at Memphis and is doing great things at Florida State. Um, but honestly, coach, for me, um, we couldn't get things to work out. It was a timing issue. Um, couldn't get things to work out with family. My, my twins had just, uh, you know, were relatively young and, you know, for me, uh, I'm very active in my, in my family's, you know, I want to be very active in my, in my children's lives. Um, and that was, um, when I sat there and kind of evaluated things with recruiting and, and what was expected and, and, um, thought and, and, a pretty quick study, you know, I was, I was able to see hey, what would be acceptable, what would not. And if I would be able to sit there and, and uh, be the father figure that I really wanted to be in my in my family's lives, um, it, it just, you know, it just was not the right time, um, especially with them being four years old, um, you know, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm 
indebted to Mike for giving me that opportunity. But like I said, um, you know, it, it just it wasn't the right time. And you know, people ask me to this day, you know, you could be at Florida State right now, possibly those guys <laughs> making a lot of money and 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 uh, you know, things been look, I don't I don't regret that decision one bit. It was the best thing for myself and best thing uh, you know, for my family. Yeah, and coach, you're talking to someone that lived it. I know and yep. you know, I chased my star and but I also know that, uh, you know, it's nothing like high school football. I mean, right. it's totally different. And all that glitters is not gold. Other than the f- three or four hours on the Saturday afternoon, uh, people don't realize behind the scenes, that's an awful lot of work. I mean, yep. they actually own you. So I, I understand I understand your legacy. And, and we're, you know, we benefited just by you coming back. And so you can know that. Coach, uh, can you tell us a little bit about a, one of the big games that uh, that you guys might have played, that you guys won, and that uh, that – really stands out in your mind or maybe yeah. one or two? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the one that really stands out is uh, 2014. Um, you know, we had, uh, well, just to be honest, I mean, the two years prior to, we, we were not a very good football team. Like, we, you know, I, I took over as a head coach in 2009. You know, we had some success, uh, you know, for a couple of years. And then we had two really bad years, 2012, 2013. Um, and it was, a, it was a rebuilding process. We knew that we were very young, uh, but we really um, – you know, it was it was it was a process really building from the ground up. And we decided we wanted to schedule hard uh, for those for those, you know, for that scheduling period. We knew that we would start freshmen and sophomores and we would have growing pains. But we knew by year three, we had a chance to be pretty successful, you know, to compete for a championship. And you know how it is in the nature of the business. Within that time, there's a lot of grumblings. And, um, you know, I'll be honest with you, going into that 2014 season, there was question whether or not I was going to be brought back or retained as head coach. You know, at Brother Martin, and uh, you know, thank goodness. Um, you know, uh, you know, thank God every day. Um, you know, the higher powers that be. You know, I was I was retained. And in 2014, we had uh, it was a special year. That, as a matter of fact, that team um, in 2014 uh, still is the backdrop of my uh, of my iPad because that 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 team really uh, laid the foundation for where we are right now. You know, six of the last nine years, I believe. We've been to the semifinals uh, last year. Obviously, we make it make a trip to the, to the state championship. But a game in that year, we played the quarterfinals. Um, we wanted to play in Catholic of Baton Rouge, and it was a battle. Um, at the end of the game, we knew uh, the time's about to run out, and, and we're about to walk away with the victory. And one of our players gets a cramp, and <laughs> so instead of the clock running out, Catholic doesn't have any more timeouts left. The player goes down, cramps up, so it gives Catholic time to get organized, and we know what they're going to run. We practiced it all week. They're going to run the hitch and pitch that they ran earlier in the year. We knew it was coming. Um, you know, they we thought we had the guy down. He winds up uh, making a great play, scores a touchdown, and they have to go for two uh, in order to tie the game and send it to overtime. So the first two-point conversion um, – we, they call us for pass interference down in Baton Rouge. And uh, so then they move it halfway, you know, half, half the distance to the goal. And on, on, the, on the next play, Rod Teamer met uh, Darius Geis, uh, you know, in the, in the A or B gap and stuffs. We want to win in 26 to 24, which allowed us to advance, um, you know, to the semifinal round. And that's the first time that, you know, Brother Martin hadn't been past the quarterfinal since 94. So you look at that 2014, that kind of set the tone and, and, uh, you know, set the, set, you know, laid the foundation for where we are now. And so, um, once again, forever indebted to, to that group of men, those families that really bought in and believe what we, uh, what we preached 
it wasn't easy. We knew it wasn't going to be easy, that three-year process. Uh, but it was definitely, um, man, it was it was a great run. It, it, you know, that season was a great season. And, uh, you know, like I said, that, that, group is, that, that group has a special, special place in my heart. Coach, I got a tail topper with that one. We were playing one time in a semifinal ball game, 11 seconds to go. The other team didn't have any timeouts. And we tackled a guy inbounds. The clock was running out. And they couldn't even get lined up. They were only on, on the own. Uh, they were on a minus thirty-five yard line. But my player thinks the game is over. He takes the ball and thinks I got the game ball. And he's walking off the field with the game ball. And the official said, "Give us the ball, son." And he didn't. So they flagged him for delay of game. It gave them a chance to run a reverse to the fastest kid in the state. And we ended up tackling him on the four-yard line, and we're only up by four. So, wow. So, so we know in that sense, it's to the state final. So we all have a story like that. Coach, um, uh, you know, I brought up last year on this podcast, I talked about the district that you guys play in the Catholic League. And, you know, because of my son being in the Catholic League also, I'm very, very close to you guys and, and uh, watch that Catholic League very, very closely. It's just a brutal, brutal district. And, uh, and I've always said, I said, I would like to see the Catholic League either split, divided up, so it wouldn't be such a grind to you guys and, and something like that. I know that the, the traditionalists go crazy when you say this because uh, everybody identifies in your Orleans on the school that they graduated from and not the sure. college. You know, but but I, I do think that because of the, of the playoff structure, you guys kill one another. By the time you get in the playoffs, you really don't have much gas in your tank. Yeah, man, I, I think what's got to happen really is um, hopefully, you know, come January – there's some resolution. I, you know, I'm very happy with how, how everything sorted itself out. Obviously, last year having more teams in the playoff bracket, um, you know, it, it, you know, was great. I'm, I'm happy that it's that it's like that as opposed to having 11 teams in a playoff system. What I didn't like in 11 in the 11 team playoff system is that it everybody in the Catholic League and you had four or five other teams outside the Catholic League who would always, you know, have a top three or four, you know, top three. Steve, because everybody, you know, besides the Catholic League team who won it, everybody else was kind of beat, beating one another out, you know. So it wasn't a really great system um, with the 11 team, um, you know, the 11 team bracket. I'm just happy right now that it's that it's how it was last year. As for, you know, as for breaking up the Catholic League, I, I'm a traditionalist. I love the Catholic League. Um, it, if it can, I, I would love I would love for everybody to come back together. Um, you know, uh, no more split, you know, at the end of this year. And at that point, you know, I think it, for me, then it, that, that whole, you know, dividing up the Catholic leagues, a moot point. Um, I, you know, I do, man, I would, I would hate it, even though it's a grind, you know, and you sit there and, and look next week, I'm going to, I'm going to regret saying this because we'll, we'll be playing Nick and we'll be playing <laughs> Rumble. And I'll sit there and say, man, I sure wish we had a New Orleans, you know, some other team besides Rumble in the district. Um, but I, you know, I would miss week in, week out playing, you know, uh, Jesuit, you know, Holy Cross, Rommel. It's, um, I mean, I can say this, it's, it's one of those reasons, like I told you, you know, with Coach Sanji and his staff, um, you, you know, you know, them getting me in this, but it's also those experiences of being in the Catholic League and playing the Catholic League. For me, that's made it so special. You no know? question. You know, so I, I get both sides. I get, you know, I get both sides. Um, but I, I am, I'm a traditionalist. So, you know, I do love, um, you know, I do love the Catholic League. It, I would agree with you if we were back to 11 team playoff bracket, you know, mm -hmm. but that's the big thing now that it, you know, you have more, you know, more teams that are defined as select. Um, I'm fine, you know, I, I'm great with it just, you know, because it's like I said, I, I am a true traditionalist when it comes to the league.
Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I was part of that for a while, too. You also you've made it tougher because now you got Carr and John Curtis in there. So it's actually gotten a lot tougher. Yes. Coach, uh, just a little I'll, bit. I'll, yeah, listen, I'm okay if they take take those guys out, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Look, the addition of those two teams, that, you know, it, like we do this, and, I, and I'll say this, we, we do this because you want to play the best. You yes. know, and, and look, I know this, Coach, how you coach. I mean, you, you're a legend. You're, you're very process oriented. Uh, you know, we are very process oriented, you know, so we want to play the best. We know this. The goal. Uh, yeah. You want to win a district championship. But at the end, you want to be playing your very best football at the end of the season going into the playoffs. So to me, you know, it's, it's been great with the addition of Curtis. It's been great with the addition of Carr. Um, you know, so it's, um, you know, it, it, it's a great league. Um, you know, there's this, not a bad, it's not a game, bad game. Every game it's, it's, it's a battle. That's right. There's not it's not a bad game because the people that have never coached in it's really, really difficult because you might play on a, a Friday this week and then on a Saturday. You guys play on so many different venues. One time it's that Yandy, one time it's that brother, it's that Ted Gormley. Now they got the shrine game and plus the road games you guys have to have to travel to just to make a schedule, you know. So yes. that that and, and the pre-district schedule too. I haven't alluded to that, but because of the fact that you got the tough district schedule, your pre-district schedule has got to be tough too, because not many people were actually are picking up the phone and calling you. Well, this is what I'll tell you. This is, you'll laugh at this. So two years ago, when it was eleven, when it was uh, you know when it, when it was time for for scheduling, you you had eleven team bracket, right? And you knew you were going to the playoffs, right? So we sit there and say, well, hey, this is how we've done it. We're going to schedule as difficult as possible. Not that you want to, you know, not that you want to have a bad record going into the playoffs, but it doesn't matter. It's really pool play getting ready for the bracket. So we schedule, you know, week one, Madison Prep, week two, St. Paul's, week three, St. Thomas More, week four, Wachita. And then and then Carr comes into the league. So we're saying we're going to be battle tested when it comes to the playoffs. And then last year, week two, we find out, well, that may not be how the playoffs are set up. Uh, you know, it's gonna you're gonna have to sit there and earn your way in. And we're like, oh, this may not have been the best thing, you know. <laughs> uh, we were we were blessed. I mean, it wanted to work out for us. Um, but that, so that's that's how we scheduled the way we did, you know. And and uh, you know, you're sitting there and you know the rules of the game, and you're sitting there trying to make your, you know, trying to take advantage of the rules of the game and right. the best position. Like I said, we found that out, you know, right before the season. Hey, you're not going to find out till week two or three how the playoffs are set up, you know. So, um, like I'm saying, I, I really hope come January everything gets gets itself sorted out. I'm hoping that everybody's back, um, you know. So, you know, we'll see. It's 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 always interesting. It, it really is, Coach. Oh, I know it. We've been admitted to those, Coach. Last not least, not to hold you, but the uh, rule changes, Coach, in, in football and high school football. And my, one of my pet peeves, you heard me talk about this. I brought it up several times about the, the hash marks. I would love to see high school bring the hash marks in the 20 yards just like they are in college because a kid makes a transition from high school to college, they're the same. And and a lot of people don't know that the hashes are different between high school, college, and, and the pros. And we're asking a 16-year-old kicker to kick from a severe angle when the ball is inside the 10-yard line. Are there any rules out there that you would like to see? I'm glad to see uh, quarterbacks allowed to throw the ball out of bounds or anything in the LHSA rules that we use because we don't only – we're the only team, I think, the uh, the state that actually uses. I mean, I'm sorry, Texas is the only one that uses NCAA. Everybody else uses federation rules. Is there anything that that that, that kind of bothers you about our rules? Um, I, I think this. I mean, you know, the thing that that, that I kind of question is that we're we're concerned about 
you know, you're concerned about concussions and concussion protocol. Um, and then a lot of times you'll have backs, you know, running backs that are, you know, undersized, but you're asking them to take on linebackers. Um, sometimes, you know, sometimes big defensive linemen, you know, whatever it may be. Um, I've always thought this is that I know we're concerned about injuries with knees, et cetera, but I actually think chopping uh, from a tailback standpoint on some of those guys uh, should be, you know, would be, uh, would go along with uh, what we're trying to do and trying to, in trying to implement concussion protocol and, and trying to prevent concussions. Um, you know, that, that's something that's always kind of stood out to me. I don't know if it fits right now or, Hey, you, you know, you're, you're sitting there and you're expected to for these running backs to take on linebackers. Um, I can tell you this, when it comes to the hash deal, people don't understand how big of a, of a difference that is. I know you're talking about the special teams part of the game. It really is, but really also from, from a, um, from a divider standpoint, but also from an offensive an, an offensive standpoint of you, you look at stuff that's being run from the college, from the college uh, hash marks. And obviously NFL is a lot different, but from the college hash marks, just the, just the, the difference two yards, you know, for either side of the hashes makes a big difference um, in a lot of stuff that you're running. You know, so a lot of guys sit there and try to implement things, you know, from the college level and try to bring that into the high school level. And there's a lot of adjustments that have to be made because of that. So that's really intriguing that you brought that up. You know, I really haven't heard a whole bunch of people talk about that besides you. But, yeah, I think that's interesting uh, because this, those guys are moving on to the next level. And it's, a, it's um, you know, I, you know I, I think it's a big deal, you know, in order to prepare these guys for the college level. But the one that really stands out for me is I, I think tailbacks should be allowed um, to cut, especially, you know, especially like on blitz and linebackers, et cetera. Yeah. And coach, you know, the, you're right about the hash marks because everybody's in the hash mark defenses. They slide it to the field yep. because it, they'll give you that 17 and two thirds yard. Coach, yep. uh, one point in this, I had an offense coordinator at Tulane that worked for. He was a pro guy for many, many years. And he told me this stat. He said, when the NFL moved their hashes in, which they're right on the uprights now, right. he said, before they moved them in, they had one guy over 1,000 yards in the whole NFL. He said, as soon as they, they moved them in, they yep. were eight, eight. 1,000-yard runners in NFL. And I thought that made a big impact, exactly what you just alluded to about yeah. how it impacts the defenses. But, Coach, listen, we appreciate this so much. I know you got work to do. you got a big big ball game this weekend. And uh, before you leave, tell us a little bit about, about your matchup this weekend. Tell you what, we're playing We're playing a, uh, an extremely talented Holy Cross team. They're, you know, they're 6-0, and uh, you know. Um, I mean, they, you know, from, from an offensive skill standpoint, They've got great, you know, they've got a very good line, you know, been coached up very well by, by you know, tight end coach and offensive line coach is very good line with with really good capable, like really, really athletic backs. And then they have four outstanding receivers. Everybody talks about, you know, two of them. You know, one is, is, is you know, is, is just an extremely polished receiver. The other one is a polished receiver with world-class speed. I think he's a 10-500 guy. Um, and then the other, like a lot of people leave out the other two guys, man, they, uh, they, you know, they, they've got, they've got a whole bunch of weapons. I know coach Andre, um, you know, is excited to go into work every weekend with the weapons that he has. And then coach Connors does a great job on defense. Um, you know, with his guys flying around, they call us havoc. Um, you know, they really fly the football. Um, so, you know, you know, you know, coach, coach Waddy's done a great job assembling his staff, um, you know, and, and they're six. And so, and it shows they're six and oh. Uh, they beat some really great teams. You know, they beat this Curtis team, um, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, they've won, six, you know, six games. So, look, you know, just 
we're excited about the opportunity. You know, everybody's talking about how, you know, how um, you know, everybody's, you know, it has been speaking very highly of them. Um, you see, and then when you see them on film, you know, it, every, everything they've had to say, it's, it's backed up on film. You know, so we're excited about the opportunity. Um, you know, we're just a measly old four and two team looking for a great opportunity to play a six and O team, you know. Coach, I mean, you said talk about the process. I mean, you guys have been there in big ball games, and you got some pretty good good players yourself. I'm always impressed with you with your line and your quarterback play. You guys do a super job. You know, like every every big game, it, it comes down to taking care of the football. But yep. coach, uh, anything yep. else you like to add before we we turn? No, you coach. Loose? Hey, listen, I, I, pre- I appreciate you having me on. It's it's uh, anytime you call anything anything you ask, Coach. Hey, I'm in 100. percent but so, just remember uh, what I said today, Coach. I just need a good exacto to get out of the hole. Okay? Hey, Coach. Hey, hey, if I can do it, I'll, I'll definitely will get that to you. <laughs> All right, Coach. Thank you so much. Please thank help the white form. Thank you all so much. We want to once again thank Head Coach Mark Bonies for joining us on the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast. And we'd also like to thank LSR for being a sponsor of our show. LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Candles available in your local associated grocers and drops to supermarkets. Samuel Licardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Licardo and Henri Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Welcome back to our Let's Be Frank segment on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. We want to thank Riverlands Insurance for being a sponsor for our show. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. So we're going to go ahead and jump into our Let's Be Frank segment presented by ULCS. And today, Coach, you wanted to talk about special teams emphasis. 
Jason, there's something that's really been bugging me. I've been watching some football from now since I've been retired a little bit more than, than I should, you know, with high school, college, and, and, and even the pros level. But uh, I, I watched a, I witnessed a ball game the other night, and I just saw no emphasis whatsoever on special teams, and it drove me crazy. But it all starts. Let me tell you a little bit about special teams. It all starts with the head coach. If he doesn't want you to practice, if he doesn't give you the time to practice, it doesn't do you any good. It starts with the head coach, and he, and he has to give you time. And plus, he has to give you the best players. On the, he just can't make it a JV team or it won't work out. I saw a team the other night. They couldn't even snap the ball to the punter. You know, and, and all you ask is special teams is more than just the kicker, the snapper, the punter. It's the teams themselves making sure they got a decent scheme to have success. And, uh, and what that does is you take some of those same terms that you use in special teams, and that carries over to offense and defense. Let me give you a couple of those that I've used over the years. What, one of the terms I've used is zero read. So what in the world is a zero read? That, that means when you don't know where the ball is, you just try to stay in the middle of a blocker until you find the ball. Then you button separate and you get rid of them. Or split double teams. That means that you know, if, if they're trading two for one, you want to split a double team, it's okay to take the double team up because then all of a sudden that creates a, a free hitter. And uh, other things, hands above the eyes. When I make contact with you, I want to roll my hands up. And it's kind of like the, I call it the, 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 the garbage truck syndrome where you kind of lift the guy up and you start, to, you start from low to high, hands above the eyes. Uh, don't widen your feet. That's one thing we always told our returner. That means don't chop your feet. Don't chop your feet in the middle as a returner. You make full speed moves. Uh, one of my big pet peeves, I told the guys, whenever you get bloated numbers, you never chop your feet. You make full speed moves when you get bloated up, or you're going to get blown up because the pursuit's going to get you. Um, one of my biggest, and this is something I've always carried, and, I, and the kids would walk down the hall, and they were talking, they were talking about high screens. So what exactly is the high screen? It's a way that you don't you, – you actually put your chest on the guy, but you don't clip him. Clipping means you don't block him from behind. That draws a 15-yard penalty and calls back. I mean, big returns and punt returns and kickoff returns have you seen over the years because somebody hit a guy from the back. You know, so those things need to be practiced and taught. And the, and and the, and my favorite is uh, give a guy a butt to run behind. You say, what in the world is a butt to run behind? That means if you see the angle of a guy blocking and you see his behind there, you cut off that behind. That means that you're always between the blocker and the and the defender. That's what that term means. So all those things that carries over the special team. Uh, you know, but I, I just think that that needs to be more emphasis. I see too many people not work on on special team. Some of them would say, well, I play a Friday night game. We're going to work on it on Thursday. Now, I believe that you always incorporate those K periods. I call them the K periods at practice every day, and everything stops. Everything stops. The whole team participates in it. Even the offensive linemen are not allowed to go work on their steps over there. They come there. Maybe they can hold the bags. But I want them, the whole team to understand the importance of what special teams are all about. You know, it's hard to find on a, a team a good kickoff return guy. Um, I, I don't understand, for instance, I see teams out there that don't have a good punt return guy. A guy is just going to catch it. So that means that they're not getting those hidden yards. They're not getting, they're not putting the emphasis on return, either the kickoff or the return. So uh, the, the, you're, you're playing on the long, long field, if that's the case. And your drive start average would be a lot longer. And you go look. Over, over the season, and you're going to see if my drive start average is maybe from the 30-yard the, the line or is it from the 20 or 25-yard line. You know, Bobby Bowden came up with a stat years ago, and he said, if you start from the 20-yard line, your chances of scoring are 30 to 1, scoring a touchdown. It's going to a 30 to 1. I don't know if that with the spread offense, if that's changed any. Uh, but how about snappers? You can't find snappers anymore. What's going on with that? 
Um, I, what I used to do is train my backup quarterback to be a deep snapper because the motion with the quarterback is very, very similar. And he, even though he's throwing the ball between his legs, it's very similar to the quarterback. I had one years ago from Jesuit High School, and he was a backup quarterback for me at Jesuit High School. And when he went to LSU, he ended up being the starting deep snapper for three whole years and earning the scholarship that. And that's what he did for three whole years. And their prices of it. And you say, okay, what about the time? Anybody really know what the time is? Yeah. Uh, for a punter, a good punter at 14 yards, if he's 14 yards deep, he should get the ball off at 2.2. Uh, extra point field goal guy, if he's at seven yards, he should get the ball off at 1.2. And the guys time that. And if anything more than that, they might, have, they might be very, very susceptible to a block. And that's what you assign one coach every ball game just to check that out. But, you know, I see kickoff return units, for instance, have no plan. They don't block anybody. They got the, the, the guy back there returning the kickoff, but nobody blocks. There's no plan for them. I said, what goes on? What do you think happens? Too many coaches, in, especially in the high school, are, are what they're doing, they're worried about the special teams. It's just a transition from offense to defense or defense to offense, and that's totally wrong. It needs to be a play like anything else where you can make a play. Maybe you can block a punt. Uh, there's a statistic out that said that um, if you block a punt, you have 80% chance in the game that you probably have won. If you block a, if you block a punt, but I see so much of that, the emphasis is not there. So, but that has to be taught. It has to be taught in in practice. You just don't say go out there and block it. But all those hidden yards are, are just embarrassing to see people. Uh, the people not very good at special teams. Uh, the pros do a phenomenal job of it. The pros you can really see the coaching in it. You can see the guy working on on schemes, and uh, they do a great job of it. Even though I know they're getting paid. But, you know, for instance, I don't understand how can you put a staff together and not have a true special team guy. Um, I do know when 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 um, uh, the Saints were really good, they had a guy by the name of Greg McMahon, who was one of the best special team guys in the country. Then he's at LSU. They win a national championship. He's one of the best special team guys at, at Tulane University. Had a lot of time to talk with him, look at it, been in a number of his clinics. And, I mean, but uh, that those kind of guys are rare. But why, why doesn't every school have a – have a Greg McMahon type of guy that can that can handle the special teams and, and do that. You know, I think it's it's so important. I, I'm watching the LSU game the other day, and there's a guy that, that that balls on the 12-yard line. All of a sudden, LSU has the ball on their own eight. So the the punt because the punt returner didn't didn't feel the ball, and uh, so I mean, there's no reason there's no reason for uh, a, a Division One school not to have a that can sign 85 guys and maybe walk on, not to have a guy that can catch punch and kickoff returns and be effective at it because those hidden yards are, are, are very special. The guy from Texas A&M, he's electric when he catches a punt, and everybody worries about him. You know, I remember Terrell Buckley when he played for Florida State. I had to coach against that guy. Deion Sanders, the, the punt returners when they were at Florida State. I mean, you had to work extremely, extremely hard on punt and kickoff covers when you played those kind of, those kind of guys. So um, I, I don't understand uh, why I coach on put more emphasis. I watched the Alabama game against Texas A&M. A blocked field goal ended up being a scoop and score. Put Alabama ahead to stay for the rest of the ball game. So um, the bottom line, what, what I'm trying to say is that there needs to be more emphasis on on the special teams uh, because it, uh, they can turn the game around. Uh, they can, they're big momentum plays, but yet a lot of people that think as well, it's just, it's just what I do to go to the next offense or next defensive play. Thanks coach. And let's go ahead and take a look at our next topic and our blitz, the ball coach segment. And today's question is, could Dick Buckus play in today's game? Uh, coach, I, this, a, a guy asked me this because, you know, uh, unfortunately, and we'll pray for him and his family. Dick Buckus passed away this week, and 
Uh, if you looked at any of the highlights when this when I was coming up, this guy knows as a, I played linebacker when I was in high school too, and I, and uh, and and, and the guard went to both ways. But I love to play linebacker. But just the fact that what he did when he grabbed it, he would body slam it to the ground. And uh, I, I wonder if today could he play one? Could he play a Mike linebacker and cover backs out of the backfield and stuff like that? And 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 um, could he cover them a man coverage, which a lot of them has to do nowadays, uh, too? But could he play and not get kicked out of the game? That's the number one thing because he would take in body slam you. He, I mean, he tried to hurt you when he hits you. You always went backwards. If you go back and look at all the clips on him, if he got to you, you always went backwards, and he never tackled you low. He was always up high. It hits you up in the pads. It never, it never hits you low. So he would body slam, and your feet would leave off the ground. The first thing that hit was you, was you probably the back of your head. So could he play nowadays? Uh, one, he could play, but he wouldn't last long. He'd be kicked out of a lot of the games and with a helmet, helmet contact or or personal fouls or something. But he was a pleasure to watch, and you know, and he and, that, and back in those days, he had the Ray Diskies, he had the Dick Butkuses, uh, and Mike Singletary's. I mean, you had, uh, Jack Lambert. You just had some ferocious linebackers that would that would try to tear your ears off. But that was part of the game. So uh, the question is, yes, he could play, but uh, how long he could last, and could he cover people out of backfield? I don't think they cared. He was going to be a Mike linebacker, and he was going to control that line of scrimmage. So let's go ahead and move on to our final segment, which is the lock of the week. I failed miserably a week ago. Um, I took Kentucky, which seemed like a good bet at the time. Uh, who do you took, Coach? Did I you took know? Iowa. Yeah. You, you, you were ragging on me about Iowa. but, but well, they, necessarily but ragging the, on you. But they beat the spread. Well, yeah. Coach, my thing was, can they can they score any points at all? So, again, it ended up being a good pick for you. You've done really well this season. Who you like this week? Coach, I'm going to go with what I said earlier. I like Washington, and I think they're, they're about a one-and-a-half uh, underdog or maybe two points, but they're playing at home. And I think this could be for all the marbles. This team, this could really put the winner of this game could really catapult themselves in the top four. And I'm going to go ahead and go with the team I've been picking a ton is Colorado. Ten and a half against Stanford. Stanford is not a very good ball club this year. I like Colorado to cover and cover big in that matchup. But that'll do it for today's show. Uh, let's go ahead and take a look at our social media. And remember, you can catch clips highlights, and also some specific social media content. You can catch us on Facebook at the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at DLBF Podcast. And don't forget, if you can't watch on VSN, you can always listen in on Google Podcast, uh, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. So before we get out of here, Coach, who do we have for next week? I got Ryan Perlou. Ryan Perlou, uh, quarterback at the LSU, East St. John, and uh, – We'll be inducted in the LHSAA Hall of Fame. Great. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. So for Justin Thomas, for head coach Frank Monica, I am Jason Duet. And remember, let's lay ball on the way. Let the good time troll. Please pray for the people in Israel. <laughs>